Hi, my name is Tristan Burns. I'm formerly from Pizza Hut Digital Ventures, where I was global head of data and analytics. But right now, I am a freelance data consultant. My guest today is Tristan Burns. Tristan is formerly a senior data leader within a global e-commerce business worth more than $1 billion. He has over 15 years experience in data, financial analysis, and strategy roles. He has data experience from startups, scale-ups, and the high-pressure world of banking, where he worked for one of Wall Street's most well-known banks, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Tristan is deeply passionate about technology and startups and has been endorsed by the UK's tech nation as a global talent in tech. He speaks frequently at tech events and has experience as a founder, having started two marketplace businesses. In this episode, we talked about how PMs need to be data literate and how much they really need to know about data to be able to self-serve, but also how they can partner with their analytics team to run experiments that lead to better insights and products, and how AIML is changing analytics. Welcome to Product Perspectives, the podcast for product people that gives a voice to their stakeholders, hosted by Magali Pellissier. Each weekly episode shows you the other side of the product with interviews of the people who contribute to making products a success. They are engineers, writers, marketers, support analysts, UX designers, or even salespeople. Not only will they get the credit they deserve, but they will share their perspectives on what makes a good product and product manager. Stakeholder management is a key skill for product managers. So just as you're obsessed with listening to your customers, let's hear from your stakeholders. Thank you very much, Tristan, for being on the show. I'm very happy to talk about one of my favorite topics, data. The first thing I'd like to ask you is just talk me through your background and your journey into data. Okay, so I probably have a bit of a different journey into data than than maybe some of your other guests. I started out doing working on an oil and gas project in Australia 10 years ago, building a CRM platform as a business analyst. So I wasn't exactly a data analyst. I was more of a business analyst working with the tech team and the stakeholders who would end up becoming the users of the CRM platform. It was quite a big project. It was obviously, it was an oil and gas mega project. So it was a billion, billions and billions of dollar project, many years. And at the end of that project, when we delivered the CRM tool, there was no data analysts. It didn't really exist as such as it does today as a role. So naturally, from being the business analyst who helped to build the product and, and you know gather all the requirements and do all the testing and training, I naturally became the analyst of the data that was made available by the platform. After finishing up on that project, I moved from Australia to the United Kingdom, where I got a data role within investment banking, actually, at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. I worked on the trading floor of the fixed income business where I looked at client data, trading volume data, all kinds of market data, putting together lots of packs and lots of reports as you often do in these kinds of roles, became a gun at PowerPoint and lots and lots and lots and lots of zeros and lots and lots and lots of data and really enjoyed that role. But it was pretty full on, pretty hectic. And I and I longed to get back to kind of my roots in software. So, and being in London, which is probably one of the greatest places in the world to work with tech companies, I left 
banking and I got my first role in a tech startup, which was a med- medical technology company called Touch Surgery. It's now called Digital Surgery and was acquired by Medtronic a few years ago. Um, I didn't stay there for very long because an opportunity to become lead data analyst at Pizza Hut Digital Ventures came along. Pizza Hut Digital Ventures might be a little bit different to the Pizza Hut you're familiar with. I wasn't making pizzas, although I did go into the store uh, once or twice to have a go. Basically, Pizza Hut Digital Ventures was a company that was rolled out in order to help Pizza Hut scale its digital presence around the world. So we worked with countries outside of the United States, basically all the other countries, to build their e-commerce technology out for them and hopefully try and scale that around all, all of these markets. And in that role, I became the global head of data and analytics. Thank you for clarifying because everybody knows Pizza yeah. Hut, but they don't necessarily know about that part of the business. So it's very important to, to know that there's something else than just making pizzas in the stores. Yeah, it's quite funny in a professional setting when people ask you, where do you work? Can you say Pizza Hut? And they, they take a step back and they're like, oh, I thought you were going to say like a bank or, or a big four or something. And you're like, uh, no, <laughs> they think you're delivering or making pizzas or something. But no. It was the tech team. Okay, great. Well, next time you send them this podcast and you don't have to repeat <laughs> the story. Great. But let's focus on, on that experience as global head of analytics at Pizza Hut. So tell me a bit more about the tech and data side of Pizza Hut that we don't really know about and the listeners wouldn't be familiar with that aspect of Pizza Hut. Our product was e-commerce. So we were helping customers to come onto the, to either our website or our app and place orders with us and then have those pieces delivered to their house. So it seems pretty straightforward. I mean, everybody's familiar with e-commerce, but what we're dealing with at Pizza Hut is a legacy business, right? And a bricks and mortar business as well. One that's been around since the 1950s. Pizza Hut was first kicked off in 1959, I think it was, in Kansas. I could be wrong about that, but in the United States. And grown to be this enormous company even before the internet came along, right? So you can imagine where you have the situation where you've got this global company that's practically in every country in the world. Well, you're in over a hundred countries and different tastes and different behaviors around eating. Eating is very much a cultural thing, particularly eating American food is not necessarily something that's permeated all ranks of society in many, many countries. Sometimes it's a very cheap staple food for, say, people in the Western countries. But then in, in Asia, particularly, it can often be seen as a premium food, something that people go out for a date or, you know, a special occasion. There's very different attitudes around how pizza is treated and, and how fast food is treated in all of these countries. So we have to take that into account when building out what we want to call a scalable solution, because essentially scalable means build once, sell twice, right? And when you've got so much variation in the way that people interact, interact with your brand, first of all, but also with your software all around the world, it can become very challenging. So in a way, we had to learn as much as we could about how all the various different countries we operated in treated pizza. And, and the way to do that was to have fantastic data. So my team, the data and analytics team, were essentially tasked with not only building out the data and analytics infrastructure and technology. We were also responsible for the analysis and looking for insights and, and insight gathering within the, within the data. We also had the whole experimentation piece where we were running A-B tests and multivariate tests on the site and app, and also business intelligence, where we were reporting back to the various business stakeholders about how the business is performing, predicting 
how sales are going to go over certain periods of time, and then working with marketing teams as well to help them build the brand. Great. Thank you so much for clarifying everything that happens behind the scenes to be able to order a pizza. That's great. And I guess you've touched on the fact that it's a legacy business, very complex in terms of reaching out to so many people with cultural differences. You've also mentioned A-B test, which I think is a sign of quite a mature company to be able to do that. So I was quite surprised by, by that. And actually, I was quite impressed, I would say. What do you say is the biggest challenge that you face in, in the role? The biggest challenge I face in the role is easily culture and people within the business. And I think that that answer is probably going to be a common answer when you talk to data specialists within pretty much any business. One of the hardest things to do is to ensure that all the stakeholders in the business have understand the data that's available and are able to uh, understand what can be achieved with that data. It's a massive challenge. A lot of people look at data and think it's technology. I look at data and actually think it's, it's information and it's people. So instead of having a fantastic capability, and A-B testing is a fantastic capability and great infrastructure and great overall data technology, the real challenge with data is making sure that the people that you work with are data literate and mature. Yes, and I feel that because as a product manager, I'm more like a data product manager and my product is data, so data as a service. And it's not enough to just give data to people. It is what they do with it, what decisions they make on based on this, or how they are able to interpret it. And I agree that this is usually the culture and the people. That's the main challenge with data. Absolutely. Apart from people, I think I liked working for a product that was sorry, a brand rather that was really well known, but going through this kind of digital transformation presented a lot of challenges going through coming from being a legacy business that was entirely bricks and mortar offline to being one that was, you know, predominantly online. Most of the sales no longer took place over the telephone or, or by people walking into the stores. They were actually now digital sales. So essentially it became a digital business while we were there. That's, which is a huge task to do, right? There's lots of hearts and minds that need to be changed. But I think that working for a brand like Pizza Hut that was well known, it just became, felt like a really useful and valuable activity to help bring it into the quote unquote 21st century. Great. And that's why I was so interested in having you as a guest, because I've read a report recently which showed that a huge proportion of product managers are now involved in the digital transformation of the company. And as I've mentioned earlier as well, data as a product manager is part of my job. I use data to make decisions. If I'm lucky, I have a data team to help me do the work. And in addition to being able to self-serve, but there's some more and more products include a data component. So you need to make sure the customers, the users are able to use this data. So that's why I think nowadays there's much more crossover between data and and product. And that's why I really wanted to hear from you. So let's talk about that. And one of the main barriers to leveraging data to its maximum potential is data literacy. How do you define it? I believe data literacy is an understanding of the value that data can bring to a business, first of all. It's also something that I believe goes hand in hand with strategy. 
So strategy is something that every organization needs to have, but you can't know what your strategy is unless you have data to support why that thing is what you should be going after. So it's understanding the value of data and the application of data in strategy to me. Yeah, great. It's not about what we hear. I want data. Yeah, but what for? What are you going to do? What's the outcome? When we talk about technology and, and legacy companies and everything else like that, I think people immediately think that it's about adding technology plus this capability, plus that capability, this data warehouse, that add-on and everything else. But they they stop and don't think about what's actually needed to come first, which is the soft skills that the people working in those organizations need to have, which is to understand what is the purpose of any of this? What are we trying to achieve? Once we know what we're trying to achieve, then we can decide what technologies we need to add on and whether or not we need them at all. Yeah, exactly. I'm a big fan of this, you know, the the triangle people, data processes or data technology and people and processes are such an important part. So let's talk about one process in particular, because you hinted at it with your A-B testing, the process of experimenting. So can you give me an example of an experimentation that your team conducted to support the product management team? Yeah, so uh, we tried to work sort of in a hybrid approach with the product management team. I wouldn't say it was necessarily the data analytics team helping the product management team. I would say it was more of a combined squad where we had a CRO expert and the PMs and the designers and everyone together ideating and looking at opportunities. But one one experiment, for example, that I can give you in particular springs to mind was a very simple one. We have a product page where we have our product cards, where the squares, where you have the pizza and the drink and whatever. And on one particular page, for whatever reason, we didn't have a clear call to action. We wanted the customer to click on the card and then go and and customize the deal and add it to their basket. But we found that customers, when we use some analytics software, that customers weren't actually aware that they needed to click on the card. Some were, of course, because we had some conversion going through that part of the site, but many others weren't. And they were clicking on different things, not the thing we wanted them to click on. So we use, you know, click, click, us click analysis to work out where people were clicking on the page and decided to run the test where we added a basic CTA to each of those cards. This was a very simple test, something we thought would win, but you know, not by much. And it turned into a multi-million pound successful test. We made it so much clearer what people needed to do. And when we ran the A-B test, the, the variant, which was the inclusion of the CTA, sorry, the the call to action, if anyone's not aware of the acronym, just increased the conversion rate phenomenally. And that was, I think, at least during my time there, the most successful test we ever ran. Great. And that's a brilliant example. It really shows the value. Sometimes we we think about features and like, well, what's the ROI of implementing this? Well, it's a clear example where you've got a clear ROI and you can show the, the value of your work. Yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned that it was more working collaboration with a product team. So what was it like to work with product managers? And what did you see was working well in that collaboration and what didn't work as well? So I think I've experienced some very data-centric product managers and others that were less data-centric. I've also experienced product managers who are design-centric and ones that aren't as well. And when you have someone who is self-sufficient in the data and wants to go and understand the problem for themselves rather than just take you either take your word for it or or 
even worse, perhaps ignore the data completely because they've been told to do something or because there's pressure to do it. That makes a great product manager. I really believe that it seems a little bit unfair, but I think product managers to an extent have to be a little capable in quite a few different areas. So I think data is one particularly. Yeah, definitely. And there's lots of job descriptions saying you need to have a data component, but analytical mind. And what we see more and more is solutions that enable product managers to self-serve. So if I can name a few, it's Pando, Heap, Amplitude. Mm-hmm. Do you support the growth of these solutions? And what is the role of the analytics team in this new world? The first question, do I support it 100%? I believe in the d- democratization of data. And tools like Heap and Amplitude, Content Square, etc., make it easy for everyone to access and understand the data. And you can't just rely on analysts. Analysts are some of the most busy people in the whole company, right? We have questions coming in from pretty much every single stakeholder. And so the more self-service there is within the the various squads, it really helps the analysts to, to focus on more important tasks rather than just answering questions or providing insight. The second part of your question, yeah. So analytics teams, I think, exist to make sure that the data is being used, that's being looked at. We facilitate access. We make sure the data is clean and useful. We also clarify uh, when people are self-sufficient. Often they're just out of these tools, they're getting the headlines or they're getting a bit of a, an, a quick little view of what the problem is. Data analytics teams love that, but that allows those people to have better questions and we're there to answer better, bigger questions. Yeah, I think that's a better use of your time and your skills. Uh, yeah. And as a product manager, I love being empowered to have access to my own data. And if I need something more granular or I'm not sure how to interpret, because there's lots of ways you can misinterpret data, for example, I know that I've got specialists help me and, and support me. Exactly. That's how I see it working. Yeah. So you're involved in the digital transformation, and we see that more and more PMs are involved on that side as well of partnership, definitely. And you've talked about something higher than just a feature, but it's of a whole strategy of the business. So how does data inform strategy and vice versa? How is strategy useless without data? Great. So how can a company know what it needs to do if it doesn't look at data? Every... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I wish the answer was, we don't know, but I'm sure lots of companies, they know. <laughs> well, yeah, there there are plenty of companies that have a strategy, right? But there are also companies that aren't data-driven or data-centric businesses. So my question to them is, how the hell did you come up with that strategy if you never looked at data? And the people, by the way, who write strategy in especially legacy businesses, not technology people. Every single company today is a technology company. It has to be. I mean, maybe not the corner store, but every other business is a technology business. And if your if your technology team is not a part of your strategy creation, they're just inheritors of your strategy, then essentially you're telling function that ought to be data-driven what a couple of people think you should do. And those people themselves data-driven. What we have in many businesses, on one side, you have business stakeholders who are not necessarily data literate. And then on the other side of the, you have technology stakeholders who maybe aren't business literate and you want these two to work together on strategy. How is that going to work? So data has to be available to the executive team. They have to be able to understand it. They have to be data literate and they have to use it to define their strategy. That's step one. 
Now that you've set your strategy, off the back of your strategy, there are going to be actions, there are going to be targets, and to measure your performance against those targets, there have to be KPIs. And KPIs are data. So now you've used data to inform your strategy, what you need to do, where you need to play, and how you need to win. And now you have data to measure your performance against that. And then I believe as well that once the organization strategy is determined at the executive level or at the organizational level, then the layers below it, so the management level and then the individual level, they need to inherit cascading strategy and goals. And all of those need to align to the same targets and KPIs. It looks like we are already talking the same language, but using different words. If I refer to product management, we talk about those people who've got opinions. First of all, your opinion is only just an opinion if it doesn't have data. And yeah. we've got that. So we've got those dangerous animals of product management and we call hippo the, the highest paid person. Person's opinion. opinion. <laughs> yes. So it looks like we're talking about the same thing, but just using different, different terms. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So now. We've talked a bit about technology and we see artificial intelligence, which is very heavy on data, changing the way that uh, teams operate. So my question is, how is AI transforming the way analytics team operate or, or the outcome or, or what the they outcomes, produce, yeah. Yeah, how they support the business? Great. So it's going to be different in, in, in every business, but ones that have high volume customer and a customer facing and have a lot of customer data, there's certainly loads of opportunities to leverage machine learning and AI algorithms to offer up a better customer experience. Because at the end of the day, there's no point in having any of these technologies unless they improve and enhance the customer experience and make things easier for the customer. That's what technology is all about. And I think that the data teams are obviously extremely central to the AI and ML movement, right? Data science has to play a role in helping an organization transform its data into something that can be algorithmic and predictive and ultimately help improve the customer experience. And yes, I think every company now wants to implement those shiny new things like AI, but what are the main challenges that you think these companies are facing or are going to face when they try and implement this kind of technology? They're not as easy. It's not something you can just simply plug into. It takes a lot of work up front. First of all, your data has to be consistent in such a way that, that it can be ingested by an ML. You need smart people in the room to make sure that the right data is being prioritized by the machine. You need to train the machine on high quantities of data. And you have to understand what the output is going to be. What, what is Before you start any of this, really, you have to know what is the purpose of doing any of it. What do we want to achieve and work backwards from that? Is the outcome we're aiming for worthwhile? Do our customers need it? Do our customers want it? Is it going to move the needle or is it a distraction? I think that there's loads of value for it, but right now it's still a big, big, big mountain to climb for a lot of companies. And it's going to take time for them to actually enable and implement any of this and a ton of investment. So by all means, if it's the right thing for your customers and the right thing for your experience, and 100% go for it. But otherwise, I think that there are there are other data challenges that companies need to uh, get over before they tackle something like that, personally. Great. I think that's a good summary of uh, the challenges that lots of companies are facing. Great. So in the middle of this podcast, I'd like to have a question from someone you know. So let's hear that question. 
Hello, I'm Imran Khan, Product Director, American Express. A question for Tristan. How could you combine data analysis, which is quant data, with that of user research, which is qualitative, during an experimental testing period? Well, first of all, I think data is both quant and qual. Uh, personally, I don't see the difference in them. They're both valuable and possibly in equal measure in terms of product improvement. When you're doing an experiment as well, I think people tend to think that one, you run one experiment and then you have a winner and you roll out the winning variant. But that's not really how experimentation works. Experimentation is very iterative. You'll run one version of the experience. You'll, you'll have maybe a result. Maybe you won't have a result. Maybe you'll have some data that says you need to run this for longer. Or maybe you, you didn't get what you want, so you go back to the drawing board. And it's just a process that goes on and on and on and on and on. And as we run the experiment, we're collecting a ton of data. By the way, I think that experimentation is actually a data collection exercise in itself. Now, we should also be quantitatively, sorry, qualitatively researching the variants that we're running in parallel to running the, the data experiment, particularly during the iteration step. At the beginning, we collect data that says there's an opportunity here. We collect both quant and qual data that says this is the opportunity. We then create designs for the new variants. We can run those designs for a number of weeks till we collect enough data, depending on your traffic volumes. And at that point, you will have a result. I, I find it very unlikely that that will be the end of the, the experiment for you, that you will roll out the winner of that test. What will happen next is you'll need to well, either go back to the drawing board or think about what you're going to test next to in, in order to further this, this opportunity. That is another opportunity for you to collect more qualitative data. So keeping the, the research going throughout the entire testing phase until you've reached what you think is the natural conclusion of that testing phase and the ROI you were looking for. Great. And I think that's an excellent point about the fact that it's not just one experiment and it's done. You keep on iterating and learning and you yeah. need that qualitative data to support also the interpretation of the quantitative results. It's either good news or bad news, but experimentation is never finished. <laughs> Well, it is part of the fun, so I'll take that as a good news. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So you also have a question for me. So... I do, Megali. There seems to be a lot of pressure on product managers to be the Swiss army knives of a product organization. They're often required to not only succeed at their traditional role of managing product development, but also to be highly capable in user design and completely across their product's data. Do you believe it is essential for product managers to meet this level of expectation or should they be better at utilizing product designers and product analytics within analysts within their squads? That is such an excellent question. <laughs> I, I love it. And uh, okay, I was about to say when you said the first thing, do you think it's essential? I was like, yes, of course it is essential. But I, as a product manager, data literate them. I would say even more than that, I'm really able to self-serve and to make the right decisions based on data. So if there was a spectrum of data literacy, I would be I would be on the advanced side as a product manager. And yes, I have to have an eye for design and I have to ha have an eye for marketing and I have to be good at user research and I have to be good sales side. I have to be good at everything. But then you said the second part, which is about better utilizing, or I would say better collaborating with product designers, product analytics, and all those other stakeholders. And then I thought, oh, actually, yes, probably the later. 
I think it's important to have a good basis. What we see as well in the market is a lot more specialization from product managers. Um, there's more data product managers now. There are product managers specialized in the user interface. So it's very focused on the design side. So the product management role, as I see it in the market, is becoming more specialized. So we're asking product managers to be more like a T-shape individual. So you know a bit across everything, but you're really specialized. But for me, nothing replaces working strongly with your stakeholders. And that's how this podcast came about to say, okay, well, let's let's hear from all those people, how they work, how we can better collaborate together, because that is key. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love that because I, I also think it's important for product managers to be kind of literate and capable in those other areas, but it's too much for them to be completely responsible for those areas, I think getting those guys in the room with designers and analysts and engineers just makes for magic more than relying them on the and, and putting it solely on them to achieve by themselves. So I believe in cross-functional squads. Yeah, perfect. And that's why I think there's so much appetite for joining companies who have that support network. In startups, you have to do everything by yourself and that's fine. But if you really want that support, you need to go to a more established company. Awesome. So now we're moving to one of my final parts of the interview, which is the fire questions. So I'm going to ask you several questions and make several propositions and you pick one of them and you can elaborate if you want to. Okay. Good. So first one is remote or in person? Remote. <laughs> but there was absolutely no hesitation behind that answer. I don't want to spend an hour in the train every day, either direction. I want to go to the gym in the morning. I want to do other things. Definitely remote. I agree, unless you're listening to a podcast, which is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I can listen to a podcast in the gym. <laughs> That's right. Great. Microsoft Teams or Slack? Slack, every day. Nobody has ever told me Teams, don't worry. Can I, can I even take it further and say yeah. no Microsoft product whatsoever? <laughs> yes, please. I was about to ask you Excel or BI tool. Uh, well, actually, I've got to be careful because Excel is the one Microsoft product I can make an exception for. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's move on to your tools again. Tableau, Power BI, Looker, or Thoughtspot? Probably Tableau still, but uh, definitely not Power BI. I'm a fan of Domo, which is up and coming. Um, yeah, okay, I think yeah, I think Tableau is getting a little old. Yeah, there's so many players in that space. Yeah. B2B or B2C? C. And finally, London, Brisbane or Oxford? <laughs> I didn't want to answer this question because my fiance might be listening and she's English, but maybe Brisbane. <laughs> That's it's okay. You can weather. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true of any other city in the world than London. <laughs> well, try and go to Scotland and then we'll talk again. <laughs> Ah, true. Share this episode with all your network, but your wife and I, I will, I will. <laughs> Good. Great. So do you have one final piece of advice for product managers who are lucky enough to have an analytics team and they want to better partner with them? Hmm. The best piece of advice I can give anyone, whether it be product managers or anybody else in the business working with your analytics team is try to come to them with problems that they can help you solve, not solutions that you've already worked out that you need the answer for. 
coming, for example, if you come to your analytics team and say, we need to improve X, Y, Z, that's something that they can go away and think about and dive deeply into the data and come up with potential solutions for. If you come to them and say, how many widgets did we sell last quarter? They're going to kill you. Like find that out for yourself. (laughs) Come to them with problems and not hyper specific questions. Yeah, definitely. Having been an analyst myself, I understand that I don't want to just be answering some data queries. I want to understand what's the meaning behind it. What's the why? Need the context. Exactly. And hopefully that will resonate with product managers because that's the same we want from people. Don't come with solutions. We want to hear what really your problem is. Yeah. Also, I think that can be applied to experimentation quite well. When you, when you want something tested or you think that there's a, a lot of people will come to a team and say, Hey, we need to change the color of this button. We need to test that. Okay. What data do you have? What's a better problem is people don't seem to be interacting with this call to action or we need to improve conversion on this part of the site. What do you think we might be able to do? The answer might be to change the color of the button, but the problem in saying we just need to do this thing, please do it, is 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 the wrong way to go about it. An analytics team is there to solve big problems, business problems, to get in deep into the data. So it's much better to come at them and say, how can we how can we do this or what do we need to do to improve this rather than do this thing specifically, please. Yes, that's a great piece of advice. I love that. So if people want to carry on the conversation with you, how can they contact you? I'm on LinkedIn, pretty active most days posting sharing my thoughts on, on data maturity and literacy. So definitely that's the place to come. Great. Perfect. Well, it's been such an insightful interview. I will never look at pizza the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly, you gave some practical examples on how to do experimentation, how to collaborate, not only with product teams, but with other business stakeholders as well. But I've loved the conversation. I really enjoyed it too. Thank you very much. Thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. If you have suggestions for topics and guests or any feedback, you can write to Magali Pellissier at hotmail.fr.